Standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus. This is episode 257. And I really don't have a title just yet. Let me tell you. I have uh, been working ahead. This is coming out Thursday, September the 8th. And as of it stands right now, we're going to be talking about tyranny on the left and weakness on the right. It's been entirely clear to me that for decades, the left, the progressives, the socialists are the ones that are projecting the very tyranny upon those right of center that they themselves are looking to put upon us. It has been quite clear to me that those right of center have very little interest in actually fighting against it, stopping it, or rolling it back. I don't know specifically if it's because they're weak or if they're secretly going along or if they actually just don't understand that it's their neck on the line eventually. I mean, I imagine they think that every uh, occupation government needs their bitchies or needs their um, (laughs) quizlings, but they only need a few and they're jockeying to get that position. Now, I started off on Monday telling you that Trump won't save us. I followed up on Wednesday with the Republicans won't save us. If you've listened to me before, you know that I trusted only one person in salvation, and he ain't here on earth. No, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. But rather than go into my theological distinctions in my Christianity, we're going to stay clearly in the secular society that we live in and the permanent uh, uh, affliction of mankind, which is uh, having to work by the sweat of their brow. Now, work should not be seen as a curse. Work is something that allows you to better yourself, allows you to change your situation. Indeed, even though the Germans mocked it on the gates of their concentration camps and and the Russians or the Soviets did the same thing. So, you know, my my two favorite tyrannical governments, that would be the Nazis and the Stalinists or the Soviets. And yeah, we're setting aside the Chinese. They're their own special case. Um, Those two European powers enslaved and murdered millions upon millions upon millions of people. And it wasn't for lack of desire that they stopped. Now, some have gone back and blamed this on Rousseau. Some have gone back and, you know, put this on the feet of Marx or even pivoted and say that uh, you can uh, go after, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm going to Freud. There we go. You can blame Freud. Some have said it's some combination thereof. I would say you should just go back to the Garden of Eden and observe the snake that at the time was on four legs. And he convinced Eve, who then convinced Adam that, well, we actually know better than God. So we're going to go ahead and partake in this. And part of the curse, if you will, was that everything that man wants to know and do, he's pretty much going to be able to do it. So when we wanted to find a more effective means 
to enslave, tyrannize, or mass murder people, well, we found a better way to do it. And we should be oh so proud of ourselves. We, the Europeans of this world, are only exceeded by the East Asians at our affinity and bloodlust. And the bodies stack up across our continent. Now, we in American, uh, America, we were somewhat separated from this. We decided that we wanted to do something different. We decided that we wanted to come over here and start fresh. The way we started fresh was, well, you know, the people that we early on partnered with, the five civilized tribes and several other tribes of quote-unquote Native Americans slash Indians, the people that got here before us, because uh, if you go far enough back, there was nobody here until somebody got here. And history has a funny way of replacing different groups of people with succeeding groups of people. I mean, the Celts were pushed out in favor of the Germanic tribes. The Germanic tribes were pushed out in favor of the Slavic tribes. And the Slavic tribes were pushed out in favor of the Mongolians and the steppe groups that came across. The Chinese were suppressed by the Mongolians. The Chinese attempted to suppress the Vietnamese and the uh, Laotians. And various factions in India have been fighting amongst themselves, including the Mongols and the Mughals. And then, of course, there's the various Arabic tribes that have flittered back and forth, whether they're the Persians, the Akkadians, and the Babylonians. And then there was the Mamluks and other successive uh, groups of people that took over in Egypt and North Africa, including the Arabs. And then the Moors came into Spain and the, the Turks came into Austria. Both were eventually repelled. But that's all, quote-unquote, ancient history. The last group to be successful in basically going somewhere else were Europeans. And now they're made to feel guilty about it. And now they're basically self-emulating or immolating on pity and shame for what they did. To the point that London is Lundistan and has effectively been reverse colonized by the Indians that they subjugated a little over 100 years ago. Now, whether that's for better or for worse still remains to be seen. I won't hold my breath. I'm pretty sure where I fall down on that. But Europe as a distinct culture of cultures, right? The Germans are not the same as the Franks and the Franks are not the same as the Italians and the Lombards and the Swiss and the Slavics and the Poles and the Ukrainians and the Russians and the Finns. And there are a whole bunch of different cultures that make up Europe, much like when we mistakenly lump Africa into being one homogenous group. There's, I believe, 40 countries. I mean, it's north of 40. I don't remember the specific number. But if I were to try to name them all, I could probably get three quarters of them, which is probably a lot better than 90% of my fellow Americans. But it's fair to say there's a whole lot more tribal breakdown than just the independent nations of Africa and to lump in the Nigerians, the Kenyans, the um, South African uh, various tribes down there, the Ghanans and the uh, Congonese 
along with the Libyans, the Egyptians, and those folks in Chad, would be a foolish thing to try and do. Interestingly enough, the north of Africa was overrun by Arabs, and they really never, ever gave it back. The Berbers, the various Arab groups. Um, And then, of course, there's your, for lack of a better word, middle to South African tribes that only one nation in all of Africa, I believe, was able to withstand European colonization. But they all have their independence now and they're busy fighting amongst themselves and within themselves. And then if we drift over to South America, well, you know, the Spaniards and the Portuguese did their number on that. But the basket case that is uh, (laughs) the ruling parties of Brazil, Argentina and Chile, uh, they're in constant flux of various forms of socialism. Now, Chile had a right-wing, quote-unquote, fascist dictatorship for quite some time, and they just now rejected a leftist constitutional revision. But that's not even getting into Paraguay, Uruguay, Bolivia, Venezuela, Colombia, and then Ghana, Guinea, and uh, Suriname. They're all twisted all up. There's various tribes, various Mizutos, various Europeans. They're just trying to make heads or tails of what's there. And then there's America. The great melting pot, as it were. And we've had some great successes in assimilation and uh, improvement. And others less so. That being said, we're not a monolith. Nobody ever thought we were a monolith. Now, at some point in the early 1900s, a guy by the name Roosevelt thought he could change us all into being of the same mindset. And he was encouraged by Horace Mann and John Dewey that, hey, well, we can make everybody see themselves as the same group. They were not so successful. The same group partnered with their European power friends and you know, brought about the soft socialism, the gentle march forward into tyranny. They've been at this for over a hundred years. So again, as I've told you before, we should not be surprised at where we're at. And it's transitioning from a soft tyranny to a harder tyranny. And we've done nothing. We've done very little to slow it down. In fact, the conservatives have been doing a fighting orderly retreat for a hundred years, which is why today's Republicans are a hundred years ago, leftists or progressives at this point. And honestly, the progressives of a hundred years ago weren't that progressive by modern standards, but the conservatives do nothing more than defend things that they were arguing against 20 years ago. So they're no help. They're weak. So we have to set aside this parlay between left and right and socialistic tyranny and, you know, conservative uh, rejection of it and just accept that the powers that be are the powers that be. And that is their first and only priority. You and I are left to the side. We are an afterthought. We are not a concern of those that are in power. 
I look at myself in the mirror at times and I wonder, why do I continue to do what I do? And I've joked with a number of friends of mine, and I've even mentioned it on this podcast a time or two, that I still suffer from the delusion that one man can make a difference. Now, we saw this play out in 2016. For better or for worse, Trump did make a difference. We saw this play out for the last several years down in Florida. For mostly better and some worse, perhaps, DeSantos DeSantis has made a difference. We watched this play out in South Dakota. Christy Nome attempted to make a difference, but only after her feet were held to the fire, only after her legislature rebelled and told her, no, we want you to do this. Of course, unfortunately, she promptly caved to the NCAA. We have watched this play out in several other leftist states, whether it's Gavin and Newsom or uh, whoever the latest person is in charge in New York, and they continuously push forward with their progressive agenda, with their tyranny, and the legislatures there do very little to even slow down the march of progressive tyranny. They are making a difference. And don't even get me started on what was once Washington and Oregon, which they were liberal, but they were hippie liberals. They were um, Vermont liberals. They, they didn't want to micromanage your life. They were left of center, but they thought live and let live. And those days are gone. You could look at some of the things that happened in Indiana where they passed some laws and their governor signed them. And then he promptly caved before he became the vice president and promptly caved when it mattered most. You could look at what's goes on in Illinois. Every time they get a new governor before he gets put in prison, or she gets removed, they just drive it further and further. And they really seek not our permission. So it is proof positive that one person can make a difference. Now, those people all have positions of power and authority. Those people probably had to give up a little piece of themselves to get where they're at. Those people are currently doing what they deem is best. Now, we would agree with some of what some of these people are doing and disagree strongly with what other people are doing. But they're doing it under the guise of states' rights, states' power. They're all okay with that now. But they rebel and recoil at the mere thought that we, the people want to have a say in what's going on. That we, the people, are pushing back. We, the people, want to assert our own sovereignty and remind them that we are the ultimate authority. We are where that power comes from. And they don't like it. Now, some of you may recall last year when we had a primary, which had a dubious conclusion, in my mind, in Texas, we had a number of candidates that were running that at least two of which were strong, viable candidates. And we're expected to believe that they topped out at about 11% of the vote. Mr. Huffines put his money where his mouth is at. Mr. I'm sorry, Colonel West did something similar. 
They worked their tails off. They crisscrossed the state. They even had Chad Prather jump on board, and he did his best to bring his wit and wisdom to that party. And between the three of them, they were barely able to get 30% of the vote. And I ask you, how is that possible? I don't believe it. In fact, a fake Rick Perry was able to get high single digits. How is this possible? Is our electorate that stupid? Is our electorate that complacent? Is our electorate that disconnected from reality? I don't know. I, I, I would like to believe that's not the case. But if you're a Republican and you're not awake, if you're not paying attention, what are you doing? There is legitimate tyranny at the gates. Our governor has done nothing to protect Texas. Our lieutenant governor is fiddling, literally. The AG is fighting a strong battle to maintain his position, but he can only do so much by himself. He needs to be backed up by the governor and the lieutenant governor. We have a Speaker of the House that had his own agenda, and while we want to believe that he allowed the Republicans that have apparently have power to do the things they wanted to do. They sat there and put Democrats in chairmanships and those Democrats do what Democrats do. They killed bills they don't like. Meanwhile, the Republican Party didn't do the same. The Republican Party was too worried about what the Democrats might think. The Republican Party was too worried about how can we cut a deal here? How can we get them to like us? I'm sorry. You don't make peace with a tyrant. You don't fold at the face of danger you must stand now while you fight while you have a chance to win because you're not going to do it when the odds are stacked against you we control the house we control the senate we have a republican governor and these republicans aren't doing the job and we're stuck with them now we have no choice now they're going to run on well we aren't democrats and we're gonna just suck it up and vote for them because we don't have a better choice What I want to amend that to say is we don't have a better viable choice. I would suggest to you there are probably a half a dozen good libertarians that would be a better choice than either the Democrat or the Republican, but they're not viable. And they're not viable because there's not enough of us that are Republicans or Democrats that have had it with our party that we say we're going to go the third way. And I say this realizing that I'm kind of endangering my own status within the Republican Party. But hey, I've never hit it from any of those guys that I'm a liberty first guy. I put my principles before the party. When I don't have a choice, I side with the party. But when it's principles, I'm all there. I don't change my principles. I recognize that sometimes (laughs) I got to suck it up and take what I got. But I'm going to fight for my principles every day, all day. And when that battle's over, I'm going to have to go pull the lever for an R because that's the best choice I have. And I encourage you to do the same. I've been noted to say from time to time, the lesser of two evils is still evil. I stand by that. But it's also equally true that the devil devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't. The devil that you know, you can 
push back upon. You know where their shortcomings are. You know where the weakness is. And you can step in and push and prod and support them in their weakness. The devil that you don't may sell you out in 14 more places. The devil that you don't know may in fact be just a wolf in sheep's clothing. We have to understand that the world's not perfect, that we live in a fallen world, and sometimes we have to accept defeat with grace, and we have to work with what we've got, but we have to still keep pushing them. We have to remind them that they work for us. We have to keep them in line. I used the analogy at a public meeting uh, last week, and I said, for better or for worse, sometimes we have to act like our elected officials are children. That is, we reward them and praise them when they do the right thing and when they do good. And that we slap their nose and raise our voice and punish them when they do the wrong thing, when they disappoint us. They're still our children and we love them, right? But we have to teach them that this is the expectation. My frustration is, is all too many people that are on my team, they suck up, for lack of a better word, Or they swoon over that elected official that's willing to give them five minutes of their time. And while I appreciate that, and I like it, quite frankly, when I get a call back, whether it's from my state senator or or from another state rep or another state senator, when they call back, when they spend five minutes talking to me, I appreciate it. I reward them by sharing my thoughts and, you know, working for them in Telling, you know, basically telling them they're doing a good job. They're taking time to speak to their constituents. They're giving feedback. And when they do the right thing, I make sure that they know that I appreciate the fact that they did the right thing. But at a certain point, when their 80% drops to a 70% or a 63% or a 59%, when do we want to maybe consider we could do better or we ought to do better? When do we determine that, yeah, you're not our enemy, but you're certainly not our ally anymore. At best, you're a fellow traveler. At best, you're marginally on the team. It'd be fair to say you're the weakest link. Now, I'm not going to advise that we go elect a bunch of Democrats, but there are primaries for a reason. Sometimes a good primary challenge snaps those people back into reality and makes them understand that we're watching them and we expect them to do the things that we sent them to do. Sometimes it's for naught. But it's increasingly clear to me that if we continue to accept the tyranny that the left is putting forward and we continuously continue to accept the contemptful or contemptible weakness and lackadaisical response. Wow, (laughs) getting a little tongue-tied here. The poor performance, if you will, from our elected officials, the ones that are supposed to be championing our cause and our principles, the ones that say they agree with our principles of the party that are supposed to be fighting the good fight when they fail to do so. They're the problem. The Democrats are always going to Democrat. The leftists are always going to go left. Progressives are always going to seek to transgress on our liberty. 
But if the guy that we've brought in or the lady that we've brought in to fight our battles and, and is supposed to be our champion is little more than a speed bump, is little more than a minor impediment to the constant march forward of totalitarian policies, they must be replaced. And as I begin to peter out from just being plain tired, <laughs> as, as I come to the close of this episode, which is probably going to be the shortest one of this week, I remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty is not a problem. That moderation in the pursuit of justice is. And yes, that's a paraphrase from a famous senator from Arizona. Although he used the words vice and virtue, I will just tell you that I'm less than impressed by what's happened. Oh, we got a couple of good bills signed into law the last two terms. We've got a couple of, I'd call them good steps forward. But when a court has to step in and say, yeah, that bill you passed, that you made law that was the quasi-constitutional carry where you exempted people from 18 to 21, that's just plain dumb. That's unconstitutional because you're arbitrarily trampling on people's rights. I got to say, what the heck were the Republicans thinking? How do you go to bed at night exempting an entire class of people because you felt that they weren't old enough? You have no problem with them going off to war. You have no problem with them voting. But for some strange reason, they can't buy an alcoholic beverage. And they needed to have their access to firearms restricted. Well, fortunately, a court shot that down as being plain stupid and unconstitutional. And while I think it's very foolish to smoke cigarettes, at 18, you can do that as well. We need to be consistent. You're either an adult or you're not. But we can't even get that out of the Republican Party. Now, I know they made the change to the bill because they thought they needed to do that to get a few more votes. Well, quite frankly, I would have rather lost those votes this time around so we could primary those folks the next go-round. But now we really don't know who was all for that. But we do know who allowed the amendment. And while I understand the political expediency of that, and while I can appreciate what they thought they were doing, they really did us no favors. Again, the enemy marches on. And we do very little to stop them. This is a metaphorical war. It is a cold war. And I pray that it never becomes a hot war. Because we won't like that outcome. But we must be ever vigilant. Liberty depends upon it. As I say. Do me a favor. Like share, subscribe, comment on this show, do a review. The algorithms are not my friend. I've had shows that have over 2,000 hits and I've had them with as low as 50 when I make my shares on social media. I don't know what to tell you as to why that is, but it's not doing me any favors. 
But you can help me out. You can make the difference. It's just a very small, minor thing I ask of you. And with that, this is According to Callus. This was episode 257, and I will see you on the other side.